Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here, and I'm, I'm trusting you're ready for a new year. You're excited about 2019. You're wondering what this year is going to have for you and what God wants to do in you. I hope you're praying about some things already and asking God for some specific direction for the year, what, what he wants you to do, how he wants you to serve, maybe some things he wants you to change. I'm really hoping that that's where you're at. Uh, the new year often inspires us towards a new outlook and thinking about those things and wondering what God might have, but also just doing a little investigation on our own. And I'm going to do a little bit of that this morning. I'd like to share a message entitled, Many Good Days. It's going to be from Psalm 34. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 34. I'm assuming most of us want 2019 to be full of many good days. Now, we all know that that's not reality. Not every single day is going to be a good day. Some of you already experienced a bad day yesterday. And so you know that not every day will be a good day. But for the most part, I think most of us would, would check the box. I want many good days this year. I want most of my days to be good days. I know some bad days. I might even have some awful days. I might even get some bad news this year. Who knows? But I really would like most of my days to be good. Well, here's what's interesting. The Bible tells us that God can make anything good. We'll talk about it in a minute. We'll talk about Romans 8, 28. But God can make all things good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And in Psalm 34, this is a very, very interesting section of scripture. Let me set the context for you so that you will understand why King David writes what he writes, but why you also will understand how he can even come to a conclusion that he's having a good day. Let's set the tone. King David, you'll remember, is uh, just a wonderful young man. At this time, he's probably in his late teens, maybe early 20s. He's already fought Goliath and killed him. And so the women of the nation have already made up pop songs about him. They already sing about his greatness, how buff he is, how handsome he is, how much they'd love to be dating him. Uh, all of those things are happening in the nation, and as a result, King Saul is extremely jealous. He, he wishes that everybody was looking uh, towards him and giving him that adoration, so he's very, very jealous. He's so jealous that he begins to tell the army to seek out David to kill him. And so David has been in this season of running for his life day after day after day. Uh, not very many good days. <laughs> uh, he's, he's surrounded by about 400 of his closest friends that are running around with him. They're struggling every day to find food, to find shelter. Uh, they spend a lot of time living in caves, uh, finding where they can live where somebody won't rat them out and tell Saul where they are, and then they're on the run again. Well, in this psalm that we're about to read, David writes this psalm right after what I would say is probably one of his worst days ever. 
He's literally uh, exhausted all of his resources to, of friends and people that he could live with in Israel. There's no one left that he can live with that will not find out where he is and send Saul and the army after him. So he's exhausted all of his resources. His only resource that he can think of is to go to Israel's enemies. And if he could go to Israel's enemies and maybe one of the kings there would, uh, would allow him to live there, Saul would not come into that territory and try to find him because he doesn't want to go to war with that other nation just to get David. So that's his thought process. But he knows he can't just go to the king on a normal day because the, the, the neighboring kings have heard the songs. They've heard the songs about how powerful David is. And so they, don't, they would not normally want to harbor him as a fugitive because he might kill them. So David's resolve is, if I go before King Abimelech and act insane, act like a crazy person, act like I'm foaming at the mouth, let my spit drool down on my beard like I'm actually nuts. I am several french fries short of a happy meal. Not everything is clicking on all four cylinders or eight, however many you have in your vehicle. If I go in like that, maybe Abimelech will say, this guy's nuts. He's not a threat to me. Nobody's going to follow this wackadoo. So David's thinking, if I go in like that, he will grant me permission to live in his country, and Saul will stop chasing after me. So here's David's really bad day. I've got to go act insane to find a safe place to live. That, for me, sounds like a bad day. That you've resorted to that sort of behavior to find refuge in your life. On the heels of this day, maybe as David is going to sleep or maybe as he's waking up the next morning, and he finds himself in God's presence. He writes Psalm 34. And I'd like in particular to look at verses 8 through 14. Now, look at them with me in the context of I've just went before King Abimelech, acted like a crazy person because everything in my life is falling apart. And it doesn't seem like I've had a good day in a couple years. That's the context. And David writes this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, David, I believe, gives us some great advice about how you and I can have 
many good days. And in this context of his crazy bad day, we see David's first bit of advice. And his first bit of advice is to find yourself every day in God's presence. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are you when you find refuge in him. See, David has discovered, and I hope you have, I have as well, that the best way to have a good day is to spend time in the Lord's presence because he is good. And if you're spending time with someone that is perfectly good, then your day, at least in that particular time, and I also believe it bleeds off into the rest of your day, even if you're having a bad day, it can be a good day because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good in your quiet time with him and you know he lives in you. Therefore, you know that your day can turn out okay. David said this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, you and I have just had a great reminder of what it means to taste and see, haven't we? We've just been through our greatest season of the idea of taste and see because we just made it through some of the greatest times of food preparation and food eating that we have in our culture, right? We started with Thanksgiving, big meal, family over, turkey, beef, whatever you have, I don't know, ham, what we could do a survey, but it'd waste our time. And then you have delicious leftovers, and then we move right into Black Friday, I mean to Christmas, and to great food at Christmas, and candy, and snacks, and meals together, and all of this great Christmas food. Then we just had New Year's, and one of my favorite things at New Year's is taco plate, and you taco plate is all this taco stuff, and you eat it with chips. It's like one of my favorite things, and I wait for it all year to have it on New Year's Eve. It's awesome. That's one of my favorites. Maybe you have a favorite, but we all have these favorites, and I'm wondering if it's sometime during this season you found yourself in front of a table with this great spread, and there was something new on the table that you have never seen, and you're looking at this new thing, and you're wondering, should I taste and see if that's good? Now, if it's some sort of vegetable product, I already know the answer. Like, I don't need to really find out, unless it's glazed in sugar, then it might be, but I don't really need to, but I might, because it's new, but there might be a new cookie on the table. And I would say, ooh, never had that. What's a cookie like made out of Captain Crunch? chocolate on top. I should taste and see whether that is good. And I discover, yes, it is good. This is wonderful. Whoever thought that breakfast cereal could be a cookie? This is what David is talking about. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Discover that being in God's presence is the best thing for you. In fact, on your really, really bad days, you will discover it's the best place to be. Trust me, I just acted insane. And when I was done, I went and spent time in God's presence, and I'm okay. I'm all right. 
See, I think what David discovered and what we need to discover as well is the only way to make a bad day a good day is to spend time in God's presence because there is refuge there. There is safety there. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him, David said. And this word refuge is an interesting word. Throughout the Hebrew writings, it, it takes on three different meanings and applies to three really different situations, but all of them can apply to being in God's presence. The first definition means to, to like take refuge in God or to take refuge in, in someone. And, and the word take really means to get into one's hold or possession by voluntary action. It means voluntarily you placed yourself in that person's possession and in that person's hold. What a great image that is of you and I needing to voluntarily just place our life in God's possession, in God's hold. And say, Lord, you've got me. I place my life and all of my circumstances, everything good and everything bad, I place it in your hands. I give it to you. And I take my refuge in you, in our relationship. Secondly, it's often defined as a place of refuge. Now this one's interesting because there's a very uh, specific defined Old Testament understanding of a place of refuge. Because throughout the nation of Israel, when they had come out of Egypt and had come into Israel, Joshua and Caleb, by the direction of God, set up certain cities that were called cities of refuge. They were actually geographical cities spread out through the entire country where you could run to if you had been convicted of a murder or a crime that you felt like you didn't commit. You could run to one of these cities and it would become a place of refuge for you. In that city, that city would require to protect you and to keep you safe until you could have your, your case brought before court, before the elders of the city, and witnesses would be there, and probably the, the side that thought you did something wrong would be there. And, but, but during that time, before you went to court, the city would keep you safe, and whoever wanted to kill you knew, okay, you made it to the place of refuge. I'm not supposed to harm you until we have justice done. So there, this was a very uh, thought-through process in every Israelite's mind, this idea of a place of refuge. And what David is saying is God's presence is like that. God's presence is, is like this special place where you can run to find refuge. It's a place where you can find peace from this crazy world. It's a place where you can find healing and where you can break strongholds in your life. It's a place where you can meet with God and worship Him with all of your heart. That's what it means to make God's presence a place of refuge. And then it was also defined as finding refuge. And that, that can be acquired to God's presence as well because we all need to find that God's presence is the greatest place on earth. Now, there's some really cool places on our planet, some really beautiful places, but nothing can give you the peace that being in God's presence can. In fact, I've discovered 
that probably one of the greatest things on this side of heaven is to find one of the most beautiful places on this planet and have your quiet time with Jesus there. It's awesome. Because in one of the most beautiful places on our planet, you get to be with one of the most beautiful pe people in the world, that's the Lord, and you get to find your, yourself in his presence in a great place. That's an awesome time. We need to find ourselves regularly in God's presence because blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Forrest Gump's mom said something that is interesting, and if you know it with me, you can follow along. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Very good. It's a very popular phrase. Now, here's what's interesting. There's some biblical truth to this. Because no matter what life brings you, when you walk with God, it can be a good day. We see that all throughout Scripture. That's why Noah built a big boat. That's why Daniel prayed in the lion's den. It's, while, it's why Paul and Silas, after they had been just flogged and beaten nearly to death and were thrown in a jail, could make their next move singing praise to God. These people that, that modeled their life this way are all our biblical heroes. Why? Because they knew Romans 8.28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. They knew, like we need to know, that every day can be a good day when we bring God into that day. And when we find ourselves in God's presence. But I want to challenge you. As we head into a new year and you begin to make some new routines for your life, you begin to change some things in your schedule, in your calendar, in your day, I want to encourage you, if you're going to add the Lord to your day and you're going to add being in His presence to your day, then you're going to have to make time and you're also going to have to take time. Here's what I've discovered. That the American person, you and I, our culture and our society, we are busy. We normally are doing all kinds of things from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep. And so you and I, if we're going to be in God's presence, we have to make and take time to be in God's presence. You are going to have to take the time that has been given to you and you are going to have to carve it out of your day and you're going to have to say, this is my 30 minutes with Jesus. This is my 60 minutes with the Lord. This is my 15 minutes with God, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter when it is. You say, Pastor Mark, I'm a morning person. I'm doing it in the morning. Great, more power to you. Pastor Mark, I'm an evening person. I'm going to do it before I go to bed. Great, do it before you go to bed. You say, Pastor Mark, I'm not a morning person or an evening person. What do I do? Do it at lunch. It doesn't matter. You've got 24 hours. Take some somewhere. Because here's what I've discovered, and you know this is true. If you don't take the time to be with God, someone or something will take that time from you, won't it? Something or someone else will take it from you. Especially if you're a parent of toddlers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because every second of your day that your kids are awake, they want your attention. They want your time. And they should have it. Amen? That means you have to wake up early or you have to do it 
after you've put them to bed. But I want to encourage you, take the time to be with Jesus because it's in this place that you will find the blessing of God for your life. Now let me just give you a couple practical ways to be in God's presence. What should you do when you're in God's presence? When you just say, Pastor Mark, I'm going to wake up 30 minutes early tomorrow. What, what do I do? I'm going to go sit in the front room, but I don't know what to do after I've gotten my cup of coffee. Well, hopefully you have a Bible. So you're going to sit down with your Bible, and here's a couple things you can do. One, just pour out your heart. Just give him your heart. A lot of times I just, I just imagine God sitting at the table with me. He's my best friend. I talk to him all throughout the day, but here he is. This is my intentional time with him. If I'm in the front room, I imagine him in the front room with me. If I'm at the table, he's, he's sitting at the table with me. And I'm just going to pour out my heart to him, just like I would with any other ordinary friend. I'm going to talk to him about my day, what's coming up in my day. I'm talking to him about what I'm struggling with. I'm sharing with God my deep concerns about what's going on in my life, my family's life, the world, doesn't matter. Nothing's closed. I'm going to confess my sin to him and ask for forgiveness. I'm going to, I'm going to open God's word. I'm going to read the Bible, his word to me personally. I'm going to read it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to digest it through the day. I might even put some notes on my phone that I'll look at later at work. And I might even sing to him. If nobody's home, nobody can hear me. But if you have a good voice, sing to him anyway, because the people in your home will really appreciate that. And then also, something I'm learning to do more and more because it's so foreign to our culture, but I'm finding such great fruit in it. I'm learning to just sit. Sit. You know we can't do that anymore as a culture? We can't sit. Because as soon as we sit for like more than one second with quiet, what do we do? We change the channel. Our brain moves on to something else. And more than anything, I feel like the enemy of our soul has robbed this from us. Because here's what I'm discovering. When you and I sit in the stillness and the quietness of God's presence, you and I understand something that we don't see normally in our world, and that is perfect peace. It's there in God's presence. It's there when we will commission ourselves and discipline ourselves to simply sit in his presence and do nothing but think about him. In those moments, you find great peace. You find perfect peace. You find peace that could last you a lifetime in any and every circumstance that may come your way. Simply sit with him. See, good days and bad days begin and end in God's presence. So learn to make his presence a part of your life. The second way we discover many good days is to live in God's provision. To live in God's provision. 
Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. In verse 9 and 10, David says, Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, lack nothing? Go ahead. Those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Boy, that's good news. In 2019, that means you and I have a choice. We have a choice to be in lack, or we have a choice to lack nothing. We have a choice to have bad times, or we have a choice to have good days all the time. Many of them. But it starts with being in his presence. Secondly, it moves into allowing God to be your provider. These verses call for God's people to trust the Lord as our provider, to trust in the Lord for all good things because he is good. Now these verses give us two specific directions concerning God as our provider, that we should fear the Lord and seek the Lord. That when you fear the Lord and when you seek the Lord, you will understand him more and more as your provider. Let's look at both a little bit more specifically. First of all, fearing the Lord. Now, this one's interesting. You may have read through this throughout Scripture. It's a, it's a major theme in the book of Psalm, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, more of the wisdom literature. You'll see phrases like this all the time. Fear the Lord. And you may read that and go, well, how am I supposed to get close to God but be scared of him at the same time? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, it kind of does. Let me explain it. One, the word fear doesn't strictly mean to be afraid of God. God's not saying, I want you to be afraid of me because I want to be in close relationship with you. But does it make sense to be a little afraid of something that is incredibly powerful? Absolutely. Let me give you an example. How many of you take your fork, bend the two middle parts of the fork out, and stick it in a socket? Not many of you. Why? Because you have a respect and a fear for electricity. But how many of you like to plug your blender into it and make a shake? That's more fun, right? So you respect the power of the electricity, and you want it in your life, right? Because you like your refrigerator, your freezer, your stove, your cell phone charger, your TV, your all, right? We like all that stuff. So we respect it, and we like it, and it's awesome, and it's like, yes, we love electricity. Woohoo! But nobody's sticking their fingers in the light socket. That's what it means to fear the Lord. We understand that we should not mess with him or pop off or disrespect him because he's God. I'm not messing around with God. I'm respecting him 100%, but I also know he's in every area of my life, and I love it because he's God. This is what it means to fear the Lord. It also means to have a clear, and I mean crystal clear understanding of who God is and who you are. God is all-powerful, all-supreme, and the earth is his footstool, and you and I are his handiwork. We are not gods ourselves, and we're not even close, but we think we are sometimes. 
But we need to have a clear understanding that God is the creator, that he is supreme over all his creation. We need to understand that God loves us unconditionally and that he is good and he wants the best for us always. We need to understand that everything we need is provided by him. That he is our heavenly father and desires to take care of us. And understand clearly that he has the ability, the power, and the desire to provide for you. And then also understand as well that not all your needs are financial. I'll get there in a minute. Understanding how to fear the Lord is also a lot like how we do sports today. For instance, let me use a, a, a recent example. I'll use the Seahawks and Cowboys game from yesterday, since it's fresh in our mind. Sorry, not sorry about the outcome. I can almost guarantee you that during the preparation for the playoff game yesterday, that the Seahawks defensive coaches talked to the defensive personnel about the individuals on the Cowboys team that could be a bit scary during the game. I'm sure, I'm sure at some point they said, you know, the Cowboys have Ezekiel Elliott. He's the best running back in the NFL. And if we don't know where he is all the time and tackle him well, we could lose. Obviously, they did not listen. But the point is this. The coaches probably didn't say, when Ezekiel Elliott starts running towards you, run away. Be scared of him. Just fall on the ground in fear. No. You still go tackle him. You still get after him. But here's the deal. You need to respect his ability. Because at any moment, he could juke your right or left, and you're going to look really silly. So you better remember how to tackle properly and, and get your... Get your poop in a group, right? So you can get this done. The same is true with God. The same is true with the Lord. We need to respect him and understand who he is, what he can do, how awesome he is, how his power is great, how nothing compares to him, but also celebrate the fact that you and I get to have a close relationship, one-on-one, -on -one, face to face with this God. This is a miracle, folks, that we get to do this every single day. When we properly fear the Lord, David says, we will lack nothing. Now, David also says, seek the Lord. You need to fear the Lord, but you also need to seek the Lord. Now, this is the relational part of the provision that whatever we need, we should go to God first. We should seek the Lord. We should run to him. After all, he is our refuge, and being in his presence is greater than anything else. Therefore, whenever we need anything, we should seek the Lord. Now, that can be even outside of your prayer time. You can seek the Lord whenever you want. You can be right in the middle of math class and say, I need help. Jesus, help me. I don't, I don't know how to do these equations. And you might be the teacher. I don't know who, who knows. <laughs> See, seek the Lord, right? If we're in good relationship with the Lord, then we're seeking him. We're putting him first in every area of our lives. And David says when we do this, when we seek the Lord, we lack no good 
thing. David's talking about our desires, our heart, our mind, our relationship with God. And he's saying that you and I should have a desire and an attitude and a heart that seeks after the Lord always. And that when we live this way, we will lack no good thing. Now, I'd like to put an important biblical disclaimer here about God as our provider. And I think it's an extremely important concept for you and I, especially in the American church today. Here's the disclaimer. Many times, you and I take God's word. And every verse that talks about God as our provider, we assume or we take it in a context that means financial provision. And that's not 100% biblically accurate. Are there lots of verses in here that talk about how God will financially provide? Yes, absolutely. Is God our financial provider? Absolutely. Does he give us everything we need for life and godliness financially that you and I need and that we want and that we're supposed to take care of it and give back to God in response to show our worship to him of how he provides for us financially? Absolutely. That is 100% biblical. But it is not true that every single verse that we read about God providing for us means a financial thing is going to happen in our life. For instance, do you think the most important thing that David wanted right now while he's just come out of Abimelech's presence and acted insane was financial provision? No. I think he wanted to know a little bit more about God than that his next meal was provided for. He needed peace. He needed hope. He needed joy again. And guess where he got that? In God's presence as God provided spiritual food that he needed. Spiritual provision. Now follow me in this for a moment. Most of what God provides for us is spiritual in nature more than physical. In fact, we could say today, theologically and practically and biblically, the greatest way that God provided for us was where? On the cross. On the cross and through the resurrection. Now, do the cross and the resurrection give us what we need financially? Maybe you could assimilate that. But do you think as Jesus was dying on the cross for you and I, he was thinking, ah, oh, this will be cool to give Mark 10 more dollars. No. That's not even close to what Jesus was thinking. He wanted to provide me with eternal life. eternal life that's not a financial obligation you can't find eternal life on a shelf at walmart and buy it you can't find hope for the rest of your life and joy that will sustain you through every single circumstance in your life and hope that will last from this day till eternity you can't find those they're not material items but they were all provided for you and i on the cross See, when God wanted to provide for you and I, it was not material things. It was spiritual things. And so when you and I read God's word, especially the verses that we're looking at here, don't always think of God providing 
a financial provision even though he does that as well. Because in rare occasions, and I hope it's rare, in rare occasions, the good thing that you and I need is a challenging season. Hey, Pastor Mark, I don't like challenging seasons. I know. But you remember the last one, how much you grew in Christ? Remember how much you grew in Christ the last time you had to get on your knees? It seemed like every single second just to make it and trust Jesus with everything you had and everything you could think of was to just hold on to Jesus with dear life like you were in a life raft in the middle of the ocean and you came through it and you're so much stronger with Jesus. Maybe you need another moment like that. Maybe what God wants to provide for you in 2019 is another life raft moment where you have to cling to him with everything you have so that you make Jesus your everything again. So sometimes what God might have for you is a challenging time so that you can find in the middle of that temptation, persecution, very, very difficult season, God is good. And he will take care of you. And he will be your joy. And he will be your hope. And you will find peace in him as you find yourself in his presence every day. That's what it means to say, Lord, you are my provider. Now the last part is verse 10. And it's the warning part of the verse. And it's kind of one of the, it's that section of the verse that's like, what is that doing there? Like all the other stuff is kind of interesting. That looks totally out of place. Why are we talking about lions being weak and hungry? That doesn't seem to, 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 to be in the context at all. So here's this random thing right in the middle of verse 10. The lions may grow weak and hungry. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Like what in the world? Why are we talking about lions in the middle of this context? Well, I had to dig a little bit deeper to figure that out myself. And here's what I discovered. In, in ancient Eastern literature, biblical and non-biblical, the lion is depicted as the self-confident fool. The lion is depicted as this one, this person who will not acknowledge his provider, that will, will not uh, understand where he gets his strength from. And so because he's the lion and the largest cat and the king of the jungle, he begins to think so highly of himself that he does not need to trust God or anyone because he is so great. And so David throws in this warning that is not a part of our culture, but it would have been an easy understanding in their culture because they understood this example and idea of the lion and so David throws this warning in. Don't be like the lion. Don't be like the self-confident fool, the arrogant one who thinks so highly of himself that I don't need God because if you go to that place, you will find yourself weak and hungry and you will have no one to turn to. Don't be like the lion. Fear the Lord. Seek the Lord. Find yourself in his presence. Make him your Lord. 
And lastly, Jesus says if you, or David says if you want many good days, pursue godliness. Pursue the Lord. He says, come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, David answers an age-old question here. Will I have more fun in life living for myself or living for God? And David simply says this. You'll have more fun living for God. You'll have more good days living for God than for than, than bad days, because if you live on your own and you live in your own evil, selfish lifestyle and your own selfish sin, you will find that you'll have more bad days than good days. That's just a reality. And here's, and here's what David says. Here's two ways that you can, you can be assured of that. One, guard your words. <laughs> he says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. So watch your mouth. Watch what you say. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The Bible consistently, over and over again, tells us one thing about our words. They are extremely powerful. Our words are very powerful. And we need to think about how we're using them. Because what David is saying is, if you don't guard your words, you can get in trouble. You might end up having a bad day based on your words. You showed up at work, and the first thing you said when you came in the door was to be rude to your secretary. Now, for the rest of the day, she's hurt, angry, thinks you're a jerk of a boss or an employee. And the rest of the day is kind of, meh. You wonder why she's ignoring you, not doing what you've asked, and your coffee is cold. It's because you started off with your words. And all of us have been in a situation where we've hurt someone with our words, lost a friend, or a job, or a promotion, or gotten a fight with our family over our words. And David says, if you live in that place, you're going to have more bad days than good days. If you don't, watch your mouth. Watch what's coming out of your mouth. Because our, our words should be being used for encouragement, for joy and hope, for loving people, for showering people with encouragement and building them up and helping them understand the love of Jesus Christ as we confess Jesus Christ to people around us. You and I get to use our words for good, not for evil. And then the second thing he says is just pursue godliness. Turn from evil and do good. I mean, this is a natural thing. This is just obvious that if you do a lot of evil stuff, you're going to have a lot of bad days. If you do a lot of good stuff, you'll have more good days. Now, here's what's interesting about this word evil. I've noticed the uh, gravitation and the change of this word evil in our culture and our world. We're now solely using the word evil for really, really bad things. So like we only use the word evil when we're talking about like terrorists or Adolf Hitler or something like that. 
right? That's when we use the word evil or, or a nation that wants to kill us, right? That's when we use the word evil, but everything else is not really evil. But that's not biblically true. Biblically, anything that dishonors God, big or small, is evil. So that means a little tiny white lie is evil. That means a mean look at someone can be evil. That means a, just a quick look at something on the computer that I shouldn't have looked at is evil. Even the small things that we think are small things and it are not very big things that does not honor the Lord is evil. And David says, root those things out of your life. Pursue godliness so that you can have many good days. Because the more you and I keep evil inside of us, big or small, the good days are hard to find. And so David says, if you want to have many good days, guard your mouth and pursue the Lord. Let me close with this. The Apostle Paul said it similarly in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He said, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The biblical writers over and over again tell us to pursue godliness. To pursue the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. These things are things that you and I discover as we find ourselves in God's presence. We discover them there as we read his word, as we listen to the Holy Spirit. We find the life that you and I are called to live in Christ as we make him our provider. In every single area of our life, we say, Lord, here's my life. You have it. Would you just provide for everything I need and everything I want as well? Because everything comes from you. You're my provider. So would you provide for me spiritually, mentally, financially, every area of my life as I pursue you, as I fear you, as I seek you, as I trust you with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding. You will make my path straight. My heart and my prayer for each of us is that 2019 would be lived like this. And that as you live this way, you will find many good days, even on your bad days. Would you stand with me?